Warning, this episode contains discussion of sexuality, intimacy products, and alcohol use disorder. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol or seeking more information about alcohol consumption and treatment, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration offers information and resources around a number of different substances including alcohol. Call their helpline at 1-800-662-4357 to be connected with assistance for seeking help and treatment options. Loudspeaker Studios Hey there, I'm your host Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. I am super excited to have the amazing Cindy Roberts here to talk with me today. Cindy is passionate about helping women recover from alcohol use disorder and encouraging women to find their joy and confidence in navigating their intimate relationships. She has over 25 years of experience as a sexual health and wellness educator, and she's also certified as a professional recovery coach. Cindy loves to support women who are struggling to find their inner passion for life and who want to focus on finding and recovering sexual sparks. On Instagram, Cindy calls herself the sober sexpert. And so I am very excited to dive into both of those things today and also talk a bit about how they intersect. Thank you so much, Sarah. Such an exciting topic. Like it's such a, it's such a mix of things, isn't it? So I'm so excited to be here with you. You and I always have been able to connect and communicate really, really well. And just like talking to a girlfriend. And so I'm so excited about this. The cool thing is, is before I got on here today, I was doing some reflecting and thinking about when we first met and I met you has it been like five or six years ago now, which is so wild that it's gone by so fast. Yeah. But when I met you, um, you were deciding at that point that you were going to stop drinking alcohol. Wow. I don't, I know that we were working together in a group around that time. And a lot of that is a little bit of a blur to me. So I don't remember like who was present and who, but I remember being vulnerable about it in this group. It was uncomfortable. It was super uncomfortable, especially because I didn't know most of the people well at all. And it was one of those you kind know, of forced mastermind kind of things. We hadn't really connected. A lot of people hadn't really connected intimately. And here I am like, hi, I feel like I have a drinking problem and I'm going to stop drinking. So yeah. yes, yes, yes. I do know exactly. I, I know about when that was. I know my sobriety date. So it must have been November. It's been about almost six years. So Well, it stands out in my mind, I think, so distinctly because I remember admiring your vulnerability <laughs> and coming on and saying, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with and being like, yes. She is totally my person, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was 
it's it's nice to hear that this this so far after that because I it really was quite the it was quite the blur of a moment for sure. So yeah. yes. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit of your background and what's kind of brought you to this place of having having even a sober date? So my sobriety date, I do keep track of it. I know that's a little bit different for everyone. Um, it's important to me because it's a reminder of how far I've come and it reminds me of my journey. And so for me, I'm coming up on six years and I stopped drinking. My, my drug of choice was wine, to be very honest with you. I was the cliche wine mom. And I mean that with just full transparency because... I had kids, they were teenagers at the time. And so I also am a step-parent and um, I had gone through a divorce and blended families and was co-parenting. So now we have four teenagers in the house. And so for me, that date signifies not only my shift as a person and an individual, but also as a, as a mom um, and as a partner, because I wasn't being the best partner I could be. And I wasn't definitely was not being the best mom and stepmom that I could be. So I, I always like to reflect on that date. It feels important to me. Again, what I've discovered in, in recovery, and I call it recovery because I am in recovery. I think many of us are in recovery of something. And there's a, a group that I belong to that we all believe, you know, we're all recovering from something, you know, whether it's grief, it's codependency, it's traumatic childhood, it's divorce. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And so for me, you know, I always say I'm in recovery from alcohol use disorder. And I also, I'm in recovery from grief. I lost my mom seven years ago to alcohol addiction. So that was kind of my transition for me to noticing that I too had a problem and she had a problem and died of it. And her mother also had a problem and died of it. I could see that I was going down that same path. And so that was a little bit of, it was a lot of the reason why I stopped drinking myself. Breaking those generational patterns. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't see it at the time though. I didn't, I was told in a very long story, but I, for me, I was told many times by family members and friends that I drank with right? So I, I drank with my family. Like that's what we did. Like I met my family members to go out and have lunch. And we always had several glasses of wine at lunch. We went to the Mexican restaurant, had a couple of margaritas and knew exactly where they were. And so I was told as my mom's disease was progressive, progressively getting worse. And I was her caretaker. I was told by everyone in my orbit that I didn't have the problem. It was my mom that had the problem. And I'm okay. Like it doesn't, it's not inherited. It doesn't run in my blood. So don't worry about it, Cindy. You're fine. You're nothing like the way your mom is. You're nothing like the way your grandmother was. And that was what was kind of fed into my into my head all of the time. Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Mom, you know, every mom drinks. Like, where else are we gonna do? So that was kind of like filling me up. And it also gave me the affirmation I needed that I was normal. I was just a normal mom drinker. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's all that we all did. So it was. It took that getting that out of my head to really kind of refocus on well, this isn't normal. Like this isn't normal. And this doesn't have to be my normal. Right. So that was a big shift for me, for sure. It reminds me, and I know how um, passionate you are about mommy wine culture mm -hmm. with the t-shirts and the signs. And <laughs> yes, I'm a little irritating, but 
<laughs> but it, it kind of sounds like that's what you're speaking to right now, too, is the people around you. It's, it was a cultural norm. So it's not a problem then, right? Yeah. When I, I'll back up a little. I went, I, when I lost my mom, um, and I said she, I was her caretaker. So she had suffered from alcohol and, and, and I'll say alcoholism. I'm going to use that word, but in the, in my field, I call it alcohol use disorder. Cause that's the new terminology that we use. Um, kind of takes some of that stigma, stigma off of it. Um, but she had cirrhosis of the liver and fought for gosh, five or six years with her disease in and out of nursing homes at 64 years old. And so I took care of her and then for all this time. And so what I found with her is that I also played it off. Like, it's not that bad. She just drank Chardonnay. She just drank Chardonnay my whole life, like out of a box. Like, it really wasn't that big a deal. Like I'm comparing her to other people I had, I knew, um, in my family and outside my family that were hardcore drinkers, slamming tequila, whiskey sours every night. Like, I mean, I was pouring my ex-husband drinks every night. Like it, it was, that's the way things were. My mom was just a little wine drinker. That's all she did, but it was enough. It was enough to attack her liver and keep her in this place for so long and she couldn't control it. So I have that idea in my head that that was just her and that that, that wasn't going to be me. I also didn't have anybody in my life who was going through an illness of a parent um, at, at, at that age. And so here I am in my early 40s with you know kids and all of my friends are like complaining about their parents that can't have, you know, that can't watch their kids or, or have parents that are helping out or at all the soccer games and stuff. And my, my mom was until she couldn't. And that's what was really sad for me. So I was watching all of this. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I didn't realize that I was kind of, I don't know, kind of breaking, breaking through the glass first for all of my, for all of my counterparts, you know, like I felt like nobody else has experienced any, any of this. Anybody, nobody else is having to take care of a parent. Nobody, I've never heard anybody talk about alcoholism in their parent, in their family, unless it's like some crazy uncle or some weird aunt. Right. So nobody was talking about that. And then I'm constantly around everything that's mommy wine culture. Like we, I was in a plate, my kids were in play groups and we drank wine. Like we built our play group time around four o'clock because four o'clock felt better to start drinking that than two o'clock. I was at soccer, taking my kids to soccer games. Everybody was meeting for Bloody Marys before the 9 a.m. soccer game. And, you know, we weren't really drinking, but, you know, like if you could see me now that I, we were, we were hiding it in our cups. That's just what we all the soccer parents did. Hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so when I see the mommy wine culture and, and we use that term very loosely, just because it's when you're on the outside and you're looking at it, you start to really, really see it. And, and by talking about it, I hope that other women and men can start to see, yeah, this must have been what Cindy was talking about. Oh my gosh, look at this entire section of t-shirts in the junior section that's saying rosé all day. What kind of messaging is that sending to our teenagers, our young children? Like they're seeing all that, that that's okay. Champagne, you know, champagne and mimosas, yay me. And yeah, so it is, everybody has their vices and everybody has their soapboxes. And that's something that feels, I, I get pretty, I really got caught up in it in the middle, Sarah, like in the beginning, in the middle of my sobriety, I was like so fired up about if I saw it. But now I seem to have 
I, I've subdued a little bit on that for sure. But it's still, even my daughter, it's great. She's 19. No, oh my gosh, she's about to turn 20. And she even will send me funny pictures like, oh my gosh, mom, look at all these coffee mugs in this store. And they say, this isn't coffee, this is wine, or this may be wine. And she sees it. And I never realized how much that would rub off on her. And so, yes, that's been interesting to watch that evolve as well. Yeah, I mean, you've you've really brought that to my attention too. And now seeing, you know, how much drinking wine, especially for moms, is promoted as a form of self care, mm. is really problematic. For sure. I mean, that's what we've that's what we've learned. I mean, we see it like, oh, you've had a rough day with the kids, and 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 I'm so so. I just want to be. I am so guilty of it. So that's why I feel comfortable talking about it because. I was the same way. Like, God, I've had such a bad day. I cannot wait to have a glass of wine. The glass, you know, that first one takes the edge off. The second one just smooths it all out. Like I had every excuse in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I said that all the time. That's what my friends said all the time. That's just, it's what we read. It was in, it was in our mommy magazines. It was on the, the accounts I followed. And so that was, yes, it, it just felt like it was really, you know, inundating my thoughts a lot. And so that was one of the hardest things to break away from was kind of being aware of that messaging and then like not having that messaging around me at all, saying goodbye to all of it. Well, and it sounds like you really left this way of living by yourself because everybody around you didn't see a problem with anything and you were kind of alone in seeing a problem for yourself in this. Yeah, Sarah, that was the hardest part. I mean, everybody's recovery looks different. And that's something I try to I try to tell people when I'm talking when they reach out for help and I'm talking to them. Like like they want justification in their story. It's almost like when you're going through you have marriage problems. That's how I see it. And this is a little bit of my background and in, intimacy in and relation. I work with I've worked with couples and women in this. And so I it's almost this, a little bit of the same story. I can see a lot of parallels in between the like, I'm going to justify it this way. Like, this is my relationship and this is how it's going. And then you seek out information from your friends, right? And your counterparts are like, okay, do you know anybody else who's having... And the second someone says, I'm also having problems in my marriage, then you kind of start feeding off of each other and you compare your stories. So for me, I really want... And I, usually, I work mostly with women. I really want women to be able to understand that everybody's recovery story looks different. So while I went about it in this way, it may not look like for you, that for you. Like we, But at the same time, I also thought I had to hit this ugly rock bottom. I thought that I didn't have a problem until I was going to be, you know, dragged into inpatient rehab or or I was sitting on a street somewhere or I was kicked out of the house or I thought that that's that was when you know you have a problem. That's how I I time measured my mom. And so, you know, to be able to stop someone had said to me, you need to be able to I wanted to be able to stop before I had a real problem. I was like, I don't know if that really makes sense to me because I don't know what the real problem is. But now I look back and I wanted to be able to stop while I still had a choice, even though that choice was extremely difficult and it was not easy. I still had the choice. And so that's when I, that's when I recognized it for me. I didn't get immediate support from everyone. And I am the only person that really like at the time stood by my side was my partner, Tim. Like he doesn't drink. He never has drank, but he grew up with alcohol all around him. 
Um, he was in a relationship prior to me that was around alcohol for to tell him and to be able to admit to him that I think I have a problem. I think something I need to stop. That was my choice. That was how I decided to do it. And then day one, day two, day three, that looks differently than a lot of people that are, that I know right now that are also in recovery. Like it just looks different for everyone. We all go about it in a, in a different way. And that's okay. That is the awesome thing about it. Like I was always told Sarah that, and I think it was because of my mom, like when she had a problem, every doctor we went to told her to go to AA. So that's all I knew. That's all I knew. Mm-hmm. That was the only way you could quit was to do that because that was the immediate prescription every physician gave her. And I didn't know. And I was mad at her for not going. She wouldn't go. So for me, I, I had to really, if I wanted to do it differently, I had to find the way to do it differently. There's not only, you know, mommy wine culture, but just drinking in general is a culture like that is very normalized. And I know for me personally, we have gotten uninvited to hanging out with people. I don't drink. My husband drinks very, very, very rarely, but we're not fun, right? Like according to some people, if if you're not drinking, then you're not fun. And so then therefore you're not invited to the party, which is is difficult. And I can see why drinking a lot of times is associated with belonging. And so teasing those apart can be really, really hard. For sure. I mean, it, it, it was a big part of connection for me. I was the fun mom. I was on, you know, Halloween's coming up. Like I had this, the spiked apple cider in my house and every parent that came by the house knew to grab a little hot cup from Cindy's house. Like I, I was that mom. And so I really had to break that connection of, can I still be fun and outgoing and spirited this extroverted side of me? But I'm also found out that alcohol really brought that out in me. It made me exuberant. It made me made me more, I thought it made me more enjoyable to be around. And they brought out this side of my personality that was, was super funny to me, right? And then once I removed alcohol from it, it was scary because I thought, am I going to be that? Am I, was that a facade? Was I faking that? Is that truly who I am? And so it's taken a lot of self-care, a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work just to kind of figure out who am I truly on the inside? And was that a facade that I was putting up to look cool, to be, to fit in with the cool moms, you know, and, and yeah, a lot of that was, and, and to your point of not being invited to things, one of the things I recommend to people in their first weeks to months of early sobriety, if you're choosing is you're going to have to say no to a lot of invitations until you feel confident with your toolkit of things, right. That you can go to, that you can um, use in place of alcohol until you get to that point, you're going to have to say no, you're going to lose friends. Mm-hmm. I lost some of my closest friends. And, and I don't say that to scare people because I think I have said that to people I'm like, well, I can't lose my friends. My friends mean everything to me. And while I understand that I had to look at my friendships and realize the things I was doing with them were all centered around happy hour, drinking, 
always, always. We didn't go on hikes together. If we did want to go on a hike, it was like a 30 minute hike. So then we can go have margaritas afterwards. Like it was just, everything was centered around that. So yes, I canceled invitations. I didn't show up to things. And then obviously I didn't get invited and I still don't, I still don't to this day. And that's, that's fine. And that's, that's not because I don't believe it's because I make people feel uncomfortable. I think my sobriety makes people reflect on their own issues that they have. And that's, that's okay. I'm cool with that. I found out I'm actually pretty introverted. I like being home. I like being in my space. I don't, I don't like having to be around all of that and to listen to it. I can do it. I can do it, but I just don't enjoy it as much. Like it seems a little more irritating to me. Mm-hmm. Really sounds like getting more in aligned with your true inner self than maybe the person you thought you were supposed to be. Correct. Just for me to kind of evolve into that place. And and it's just facing all of that. When you see it, you just really, you, you try not to get to this judgmental place of others. And so when I see someone my age that is doing these things, you know, all I can do is just have grace in my heart and just hope hope that they are safe and that you know i one of my one of my dear friends who reached out to me several years ago and she said she she had sent me a text and she's like hey i need to ask you some questions what do you recommend what books do you read like all the things and i was like oh my gosh tell your friend this tell your friend to read that tell your friend to listen to this and then she responded back she's like it's not a friend it's me She's like, Cindy, you're the only sober person that I know that is our age. That was, oh gosh, a couple of years ago. It was 40, I think it was 48 at the time. She's like, you're the only one. And you're the only one that talks about it. I don't know anybody else. Mm. And that was one of my biggest wake up calls to like keep talking about it. So I was like, people are so, people are so tired of me. <laughs> you know, like you start, you do, you just think like, oh, everybody's talking. Like in my, I've, because I've surrounded myself with sober people. Mm-hmm. So everybody's talking about sobriety and yay, it's awesome. And yo, it's sometimes it's kind of tough to see that, to have someone say that to me, like, you're the only sober person I know. That's like normal. Okay. Now, whatever that meant, <laughs> but I really, I kind of reflect back on that a lot and think, okay, and she's still sober to this day. And so I kind of think about, okay, she said, you know, to her, nobody was, she didn't see anything on Instagram. She didn't see anything in our friendship group or our circle of people or on Facebook. She didn't see anybody talking about that. It was the opposite, right? It was always the opposite. So that was a good one for me. Do you have favorite books that brought up for me? Oh, I do. You I do. do. I, yeah, one of the very first books I read that was reckon, recommending, and I I ordered it. You know, what, I, I think I ordered it a couple weeks before I um, took my last drink, and and I'll back up. My last drink was on a a night I had just finished facilitating a meeting, and I was a, a I was in a company where I sold products, and I had a big team, and I educated them, and we had meetings. And I went to this meeting and I had a couple of glasses of wine before. Like I always did. Like it just helped me be a better presenter. (laughs) And I remember going to the meeting and it was at a village inn. And I'm like, who scheduled this meeting at a village inn? This is ridiculous. Why? Because guess what? They don't sell alcohol at village inn. They sell pie. And so I was like super irritated. So I brought a drink with me in my cute little cup. And I sipped on Pinot Grigio through the whole meeting. And I got home and obviously now I'm like probably three glasses in, couldn't wait to pour another one. 
And I just had this moment, like I could not remember the last 20 minutes of the meeting. And I drove home like, and, and I will fully, I will, I am so fortunate to this day that I am alive, that I have not hurt anyone. Um, but I think it's also a lot of people will talk about that. They think, oh, I just had a glass of wine. I can drive home. I sit every day at a restaurant, not every day when I go out and I watch people drink and they drive home. And yet they're the first to cast a finger on young teenagers who drink. And I'm like, you're just as guilty. That's a total soapbox moment. So sorry. But um, yeah, I took my last drink and I realized I can't keep doing this. I just ran a professional meeting and I can't remember the last 20 minutes of it. And I drove home and I couldn't wait to have another glass. Because that was my last day, I had purchased a book a couple days before or a couple weeks before that, that my brother had recommended because he was like, ah, you know, mom died of this, grandma died of this. I don't know. I think maybe I'm going to look into like, maybe cut back a little and someone recommended this book to him. And so I was like, well, shoot, I better order it just in case. I don't know. Maybe I'll read it. And it was Annie Grace. It was called This Naked Mind. And she has podcasts and now she has a whole big program because now it's evolved. But that was the first book I read that I, like it broke it down from, for me, just in a way that was like, this is what alcohol do- does to you. This is how it affects the body. And it talked, it talked about that. It talked about the marketing campaigns. It talked about what it does physiologically, what it does mentally. And I just really connected with it. And I... I always encourage people if they listen, like some people are pod, or, uh, you know, audiobook people and I, I'm a paper girl and I need to read that. And I was highlighting pages. I'm two days sober and I'm highlighting every page and I'm looking at my partner and I'm like, oh my God, did you know this? Did you know this? I was so excited. I was so, I finally was like reading something that felt really connected to me. And then after that book was finished, I was like, I got to find more. I must have spent it's all relative, right? I'm like, oh, I spent hundreds of dollars on books, but you know how much I was spending on black box Pinot Grigio? Oh, thousands of dollars. So I now have a whole bookshelf. Um, and one of my current favorite, like I love anything by Holly Whitaker. Um, she has written an amazing book. It was Quit Like a Woman. That one just came out a couple of years ago. And I'm also, I love um, We Are the Luckiest by Laura McAllen. And I followed actually both of them on Instagram. So my sobriety was a little, my recovery is a little different. I like immersed myself into sober Instagram. I found every sobriety account I could. I deleted everybody else, almost everybody else. And I just, I filled my head with all, all of it that I could. And so those two I'd started following initially. And since then they have written books and I love both of their work because it really talked about, I needed to hear the real stories. I needed to hear people talk about real life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, I felt so alone because nobody in my world was talking about it. Right. So there's that connection. You just mm-hmm. had to find it through a completely different place. I did. And some people find, you know, Sarah, like some people find connection through going to meetings. Um, and, and I love that. I love that. If that is your thing, that is awesome. And I knew that that didn't feel comfortable to me. And for my own individual reasons, I didn't feel comfortable in that in that setting. So I started to just connect with people in social media. That felt good to me and reading and listening to podcasts. And I didn't attend my first actual meeting until COVID, until March, March of 2020, a group that I was in started doing... And I say a group, it was just a Facebook group. That's all it was. It was just women in recovery. Like I didn't know who they... I just... Oh... We chatted from time to time and they started online meetings. 
mm-hmm. because of COVID, because they could see that there was this really strong need for it. And there was a morning meeting and a nighttime meeting. And it was amazing. And I was like, that's where I started to connect with women. And I could really see, oh, this is okay. Yeah, this is why people talk to other people. Mm-hmm. I, didn't really, I didn't really talk to anybody, Sarah. That's one thing that I would probably have, I would change looking back is I wish I would have connected more intimately with women in recovery personally than I did just surfing the internet and doing all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it sounds like you did later when you were ready to do yes, that. Yes, correct, correct. I wasn't ready at the time, but I do. I, I I can really see that. Like people really need that and crave that. Yeah. Well, now I love that you provide that support for other women, which is amazing. I want to shift gears a little bit because I know there's this other side of you too. So there's the sober part and then there's the sexpert part. <laughs> I know. I want to talk a little bit about that. And I, I heard you at one point talk about how they relate to each other as well. And so I would love to hear that from you again. So I've been in the field of sexual education since I graduated from college, you know, just a few years ago. And um, not really. It's something I've always been passionate about. And, and so I just, I like talking about those topics. And I think because I grew up in such a household and a community in the church that we really didn't talk about that kind of stuff. So when I hit college and I found that there was this health program, health education, then I took the sex 101 class and I was like, what? Like, this is amazing. This is what I'm meant to do. Like, you know, people like, oh, you know what you're meant to do. Like I, I hit it immediately. I was going to radio and television. Like, no, I knew that I was, I knew that this is what it was. And so I loved having those conversations. So I, my career followed the public health route. I had my, I got my master's degree in public health and, and then it just shifted into like working in different fields of public health. From there, I realized that I really like the piece of human sexuality and intimacy and relationships and talking about STDs and pregnancy prevention, like, because it felt like it was so difficult for people to talk about it. And it felt so comfortable for me. And so I kind of felt like, I got to go with this. So fast forward a little bit. And I um, had two kids. I just had my daughter and she was premature. And so I needed to be home with her. We weren't allowed to put her in daycare because she was just a little two pound nugget. And so I had recently gone to a sex toy party and I, I'm sure that you know people have known like Tupperware parties, like those, you know, makeup parties. Well, this was one where someone came to the house and talked about intimacy products, you know, and I went, I was blown away. I was like, I cannot believe this person is in this house talking about like doing a presentation and here's 30 women sitting on the living room floor out in the Highlands Ranch in, suburb- in the suburbs, eating up every word she was saying. I was like, I should do that. This girl doesn't even really like, she had no background in sexual health. She was just, you know, recruited from another girl. It was, it was an MLM in all aspects of the world. It's a multi-level marketing company. It definitely was. I was like, I'm going to do this. And so that began my career in selling and I, and I say sex toys, but you know, if that makes someone uncomfortable, it's intimacy relationship products, like whatever, whatever. I'm and so sure you I, can say sex toys on here. Okay. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> and so anyway, that, that, that progressed. And so I rose to the top of the company, was on the board of directors. I did it for 14 years and I taught sex ed to all the consultants. Now, 
how that connects with my sobriety is, guess what? To get the courage to talk about sex in front of a lot of people, there's some liquid courage behind that. And that's what I felt like. And so while we told you know consultants not to drink at your parties or anything like that, what you did is you encouraged your hostesses to provide alcohol to all of their guests because guess what? I mean, you drink more, you spend more. There were so many naughty things I look back. Like I've actually had to do a lot of work on healing that because it was, I, t- I, I, I sold a lot of alcohol, um, meaning that I sold this idea that you needed alcohol to be able to be sexy. You needed alcohol to be able to loosen your inhibitions. I named lubricants after alcohol brands. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I, it's took a lot of healing to get through that. And so, yes, there was definitely a lot of connection. And then when I was teaching, when I like was at the top of my game, you know, teaching thousands of women, I had to have some alcohol before I got on stage. And you could tell because I had, I would fully splotch out in red, just, I was completely red, splotchy red. One, because I was nervous. Two, because of my anxiety. And three, I had just drank two glasses of Pinot Grigio as fast as I could. I feel like, oh, tequila? No, mine was Pinot Grigio for some reason. So yeah, so there was a strong connection there. Every event through the company always had alcohol. Every celebration in an MLM has alcohol. That's just what we that's what we did. And so yeah, so when I I, I quit the business before I stopped drinking. I just knew, I knew I could never go back to an event where I would have to be exposed to that. And so, yeah, there was a strong connection. And I, I really, I, yeah, I just know that there, there was a lot of, there's just a lot of alcohol in, in that industry. I had meetings at my house for my team. I mean, for years. And I loved having meetings at my house because guess what? I could drink before. And I could drink daring and I provided the best cocktails to every one of those girls at my house. And I, I just think back to that and it blows my mind that I did that. But that's just what was accepted. And that's what we did. And that's, that's how we grew our teams. That's how we, yeah. So a lot of, a lot of healing through that for sure. Chances are you know all about the downside of drinking, the anxiety, damage to your body, lost days, lost relationships. And yeah, it's important to remember that stuff. But we're two sober movement teachers and coaches who wanted to create a podcast that goes beyond the downside of drinking and explore the upside of sobriety and why ditching alcohol is so much more than just liberating yourself from hangovers. Although that's pretty good too, as well as work, holidays, spirituality, productivity, relationships, social justice, and so many other topics. Plus, every episode will bring you a big sober energy tip and a guided meditation or movement sequence, especially for people in recovery. So if you're sober or considering a zero-proof lifestyle, be sure to follow and subscribe to the Hangover Liberation Society. Listen to the Hangover Liberation Society wherever you get your podcasts. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. During my conversation today with Cindy, she recommends some amazing books that were pivotal and powerful for her along her journey. And I did 
look into those books and they are all available on Audible. So This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan, and the last one, Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. So I think Audible is such a wonderful way to be able to go about our life and multitask and have something in our ear that's teaching us, helping us grow, helping us to connect with other people who are like us or who are having similar experiences to us while still being able to do things like drive from one place to another or do the laundry, those mundane tasks. It definitely, having Audible in your ear makes them so much more enjoyable. So the cool thing is, is that you can go over, check it out, get signed up and go through audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash we podcast and you get a free 30-day trial after that 30 days it's only $14.95 a month and there is absolutely no contract you can cancel at any time which is totally amazing so it's totally worth it there's so much amazing content over there I listen to audible on a regular basis and love it they have podcasts audiobooks guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. Such a great and easy way to introduce growth and learning into your everyday life. All right, now let's get back to our conversation. Warning, this episode contains discussion of sexuality, intimacy products, and alcohol use disorder. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol or seeking more information about alcohol consumption and treatment, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration offers information and resources around a number of different substances including alcohol. Call their helpline at 1-800-662-4357 to be connected with assistance for seeking help and treatment options. I think most of us, I know I definitely can look back and be like, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes, yes. uh Yeah. But when we know better, we do better. That that is correct. And Mm -hmm. that and and I think that that was when I wasn't sure how to continue wanting to talk about intimacy and sex after that. Because was I was I so courageous talking about it because of I had liquor behind me? Like was was it again, here I am challenged with this facade Hmm. that I had put on. Like, did I really enjoy talking about sex or was that something I was faking because I was just, I thought it was my niche and I thought I was really good at it. And so I had, I took a couple years to really kind of reflect on, is this truly what I want to talk about anymore? Am I really good at it? Well, for the first 10 years of my professional career, I didn't drink at all. So yes, there, I, I could do it. I knew I was capable of it, but I had to dig back to the 20-year-old Cindy and remember that I could do it if I chose to. And I was, I just was capable of it. And I just wasn't sure anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've come full circle and realizing you do love it. Yes. And now you have this other angle of you can, I want to go back because you said you need alcohol to be sexy. Yeah. Yeah. I think even aside from the parties, I think people in general feel that way, you know, 
to to really step into your vulnerable sexual self mm-hmm. uh, needing to have alcohol to help you do that absolutely like i think that you know while i decided to to get my certification as a recovery coach um, several years ago, right before COVID. And okay, I'm going to become a recovery coach. So I'm going to talk about recovery. I'm going to help women get through these early stages of sobriety. That felt like I, I, I felt like I needed that certification. I felt like I needed that knowledge. Um, I only had my set of experiences, but I didn't have this clinical piece that I felt like would, would help boost my confidence. So I did that. I checked that box that felt really good, but I also was really missing the talking about sex piece. And, you know, I wanted to help people in early recovery, but yet there, you know, there are things that they were concerned with weren't always immediately relationships and sex. And so I'm like, okay, do I talk about that? Can I talk about that? I'm not really sure. Well, nobody else in the field of recovery is really talking about sex and relationships and intimacy. And how has alcohol affected our relationships? is this okay to talk about this? I'm not really sure. So I was having all this internal dialogue and I was trying to reach out to other people in the field who you know, are certified coaches and in the programs. Like, Cindy, we don't really don't have anybody. Like we have somebody who talks about trauma-informed spaces. We have somebody that talks about childhood trauma. We have somebody that talks about financial issues in recovery. We don't really have anybody that's talking about sex. Okay, but do you want someone that talks about it? And, you know, I, I, it, it was resisted a little bit. And so I, for me, what I'm trying to do now is to have those conversations more frequently because I do feel like it is something that when you are newly in recovery or if you're thinking about, you're just over curious and you're thinking about maybe quitting, I don't know how this is going to affect my, my sex life. Like those are things that people are really concerned about. Even what, you know, people who are three or four years into their recovery are still like, I don't know how to have sex with my husband sober. You know, they're not sure. My partner, I may not even actually like men anymore. I actually, so there are all these different dynamics that are going on. And I'm like, wow, like, why is everybody talking about this? Maybe this is the time to start having those conversations. And maybe I can somehow... I wouldn't say, I always used to say marry the two. Like I always struggled. I know when we like, first met Sarah, like I always had these, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to connect these two. Like, like how do I connect human sexuality and sexual wellness with sobriety? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't click very well. I'm like, well, maybe they don't need to be married. Maybe they just need to be side by side or friends. And I can talk about this or I could talk about that, or I can talk about both together. Mm-hmm. Not everybody who's having intimacy issues with their partner is in sobriety, right? And so, and not everybody that is struggling with sobriety is having intimacy issues. And so why can't I talk about that? Why can't I talk about all of the things and 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 be ready to have that real authentic, open, honest conversation with someone who is struggling in their relationship because they've never had sex without having a glass of wine first. Let's talk right. about that. Like, let's have that. Let's have that conversation. It's interesting because I think back to when I met my husband and when we met, obviously we were much younger <laughs> than we are now. We, you know, when you first meet, it's like all exciting and we were going out. I, I was drinking a lot back then. Our relationship was started totally around alcohol and going out and partying and having a good time. But then you get to the real life, like, okay, we're actually going to commit to each other. We're going to settle down. We're going to let this real life stuff sink in. And then 
And then I, at one point, decided I just don't, didn't really like alcohol. I didn't want to drink anymore. It totally and completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. For sure. For sure. I know that that, for me, that was one of the hardest things. Like, Harry, am I? I'm a sex educator. I talk about sex. And one of the things I was struggling with in early sobriety was sex. How can I be having problems? Like I know every toy I could buy to fix this, you know, but it was about connecting with my partner and Mm -hmm. having that very vulnerable conversation. Oh gosh, probably four or five days after my last drink. And, you know, he's supporting me completely. And, and you need to do this for you. This isn't for the family. This isn't for me. This has to be for you. And then anything that evolves out of that will be beautiful on top of that. And I like, okay, yeah, that sounds all good and all, but I don't know. Like I'm kind of doing this for all of us because I'm not the best mom and I'm not the best partner, but okay. Yes, you're right. Do it for me. And I remember, I remember having to tell him, look, I don't know. I, I believe maybe 95% of the time, I've always had a glass of wine or something before we've been intimate. And that was a surprise to him for sure. Because guess I was, I was really good at hiding my alcohol, Sarah. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's also how I also knew I had a problem. Like I had a box of wine hiding in a suitcase in the basement. I had a box of wine hiding at a bottle hiding in the suitcase in the garage. Like you get really, really good at it. And like, I couldn't wait for him to go on a bike ride so I could go have an extra glass of wine and he wouldn't know I had one. He didn't care. He wasn't counting. He wasn't that person. But in my mind, I created this. Like I needed to do it to be to be better, more fun. So yes. So when I had that conversation and I told him that, like it was a surprise, but it was also, I had to say it. And I don't recommend that to everybody like right off the bat. But for me, it felt super important at the time. He's like, all right, what, what do you need? How can I support you? Like, what can we do to make this better? And so now I look back at that. I think, okay, that was huge for me. And now I can recommend to people when you're ready, you need to let your partner know, like, this isn't on you. This is about me. I've never done this without alcohol. And so I need some patience. So here's some things that would help me in this situation. So whether it's, you know, playing music, whether it's having sex in a different environment, um, meaning like a different room in the house, so you're not connecting it, you know, whether you've got no alcohol in the house at all, so you're not even tempted. There's so many things that you can do differently. And so that really helped me kind of grasp, all right, I need to figure out how I can do this and how I can be comfortable. Because guess what? I was drinking because I wasn't comfortable with my body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's, let's deal with that issue now, Sarah, right? Like, right. Let's, let's talk about body issues and body image and what had been, you know, thrown at me for so long. And, oh, I've been telling women for years that you need to have tequila before, you know, to make, what's that song, that country song, tequila helps your clothes fall off. Or, oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I know someone listening is going to like rattle that off, but every song I listen to on the country music is about alcohol and it makes you sexy. And so it was really, okay, we can't listen to any songs with alcohol in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, I was adamant. I was like, no songs with alcohol. Okay, yep, yeah, all right, babe. I got that. Let's not do yep, no, for sure. So mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's just a testament to how many things that alcohol masks, like keeping us on the surface, not dealing with the deeper stuff, right? And what a more fulfilling experience than being able to be totally present with your partner and your body and being able to be vulnerable from a 
a place of total consciousness than being disconnected. Beautiful. I mean, that's really it, Sarah. That's exactly how I felt. I, I felt, and maybe not at that moment, but looking back, I did. But I also know how fortunate I am and that I have a partner who doesn't drink. There are a lot of women and men out there who choose to stop drinking, need to stop drinking, whatever it is, and are still in a relationship with somebody who does drink. Because like I was saying earlier about my friendships, that's what I did with my BFFs. Like we did happy hour. That's what brought us together. There are a lot of couples who share that same thing. That's what they did every night. And that is what I did, you know, say I'd say with my ex-husband. But that's, that is where I know that I am super fortunate in the fact that I did not, I, I, I wasn't around that. And in that moment, I'm very fortunate in that. And I, I know that was a big part of helping me in my, in my recovery and connecting with him better because had I had to deal with him drinking as well, and I had made this choice, but he was still drinking and I could taste beer on his, on his breath. Like, I don't know. I don't know, Sarah, that I would have, I don't know how that would have been for me, mm-hmm. but I have clients. I have so many clients that are dealing with that. And, you know, it does always ground me and make me realize how fortunate I am in that. Mm-hmm. They are so intertwined. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Vital for my growth, the most for me has been being okay with being alone. Mm-hmm. I was never alone my whole life. Um, I was always taking care of someone or I was just always taking care of people straight from a family where I took care of family members to my high school sweetheart moving in together. And I was always, you know, connected. I never lived alone. And so when I went through my divorce and I lived alone for two years, co-parenting, so I had my kids half and half, that was one of the hardest times for me, but I filled up that time with drinking. So then to be able to learn to be alone and not cope and soothe my, my ache, my pain, my trauma that I've had from my childhood, to be okay with sitting with that and being quiet, that's what's been vital for me. Like I, had I not learned how to just sit and be still mm. and, and sit in silence and let those thoughts, let those thoughts come face them and, and work through it. Because every time one of those memories came up, I had a way of deflecting it. I had to, oh, I have to go take care of somebody. I have to go take care of a mom, a kid, a husband. Uh, and I didn't focus on myself. So for me, it was a vital just really working on, on me for the first time. I didn't realize that until I was 46. Mm-hmm. I was 46. So saying it's okay to say no to people and, and learning those boundaries. So that's what's really been, that's really, that's what's been vital for me. Yeah, that's huge. I remember hating silence. Oh, still uncomfortable sometimes, you know. Um. <laughs> oh, I sit at a, ta- a dinner table and this has been hard. Like I'll sit at a dinner table and when my, when the whole family is there, meaning like all four kids, which doesn't happen now that they're old, but boy, when they were teenagers and we'd sit at the table and it was silent and I, it was so uncomfortable. So I would like, I talk about the most random things and I, because I am just uncomfortable with that silence. Now I'm like, all right, everybody wants to, everybody wants to have an attitude and not talk. Fine. Fine Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
That's <laughs> so, yeah. hard. so hard. <laughs> it is hard, but so good too. So walking away from this podcast episode today, what do you want to make sure that people know? I would love for everyone to know that it's not a dirty secret. That if you think you have an issue with your drinking, like it doesn't have to be this big ordeal, this rock bottom that you have to hit to say no, to stop. It is possible. It's possible to moderate. It's possible to cut back. It's possible to quit altogether. There are so many resources out there. I think that that's what I want people to know is that there's a thousand different ways to do this. And mm-hmm. There's a thousand different way, books to read and people to talk to. Like it doesn't, I always thought again, like it had to be just this ugly, ugly thing that until you said I had to stop, I wasn't going to stop. And so it is possible to stop if you, if you want to. I mean, obviously I know, I know that there's addiction there's levels of addiction and I work with all different kinds and I know that for everyone it's, it looks differently, but I just want people to know that it is possible, especially women, Mm -hmm. especially women who are exposed to this drinking every day and thinking that that's normal. And what if I said, maybe it isn't normal. What if I said it could, it could be better. What if it could be better? Mm -hmm. And are you okay with the, the way it is now? Or would you like it to be better? What if you could do this and maybe things might shift for you? Like, look at that possibility. I'm very much like, look at the pause, like what, what could be possible if you quit? What could improve? Mm -hmm. Is there room for improvement? Is everything great? You know, like what could, what could we shift? So just to know that it's possible for sure. Yeah. And I like that. It's not a dirty secret. Keep talking about it, getting it out there. Yeah. 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 Like know that there's other people who are just like you that are also choosing not to do it. And, you know, here's some, here's some steps that we can all take. Like here, here's how you order a drink at a bar that's alcohol free. If you're worried about someone, you know, like there's, there's so many different little tips and tricks to it, mm-hmm. that I, nobody I didn't know about. So yeah, just knowing that there's a lot of, a lot of people out there now that are talking about it and that's kind of cathartic to me. Totally. Yeah. Okay, Cindy. So how do people find you? Uh, I will have links in the show notes to your website and Facebook and Instagram. But where do you hang out most? What's the easiest way for them to get connected with you? I hang out most at my house with my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm mostly on Instagram. And it's like you had said earlier, it's Sober Sexpert. Um, and it's Cindy Roberts, C-I-N-D-I. And then Roberts, that's my website, just my first and last name. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm a little bit on Facebook, um, but yeah, I'm, I mostly hang out on Instagram for now. Awesome. Okay. And I know you do, you do some uh, coaching programs. And I do. You've yeah. spoken on a few different podcasts. So there's different ways that you can support people and that they can get information. Absolutely. Absolutely. I you can, I do individual coaching. I've done group coaching. I'll have something probably starting up in the new year for group coaching as well, kind of a community. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's always, always stuff going on for sure. And just, you know, you can always just reach out to me and private message me on Instagram and I can at least shoot you in the right direction. If you have questions about something or send you links, I'm happy to talk about that or we can set up some time to talk for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for sharing your story. And 
I think this is definitely going to be so helpful to so many people. So thank you for all that you do to put vulnerability out in the world to normalize that and to lift people up in the way that you lift them. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having this platform to be able to share that because that's what it's really all about is being able to share those stories. So I appreciate you for inviting me, allowing me to to speak my truth and hopefully help someone else. Thank you for listening to the WE podcast. I'm grateful for you showing up with us in this space. If you'd like to connect, please look for links to our social media and ways to get in touch in the show notes. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Public Media. You should also know that Loudspeaker is completely listener supported and that you can become a member at loudspeaker.org. You can find more of the WE podcast as well as so much more awesome programming on the network. And again, that's at loudspeaker.org. Also, giving credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. If you heard something that resonated with you and you know it would be helpful for others, please don't forget to share with your friends. You can also read more of our blog focused on all things personal growth at theweespot.com. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol or seeking more information about alcohol consumption and treatment, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration offers information and resources around a number of different substances including alcohol. Call their helpline at 1-800-662-4357 to be connected with assistance for seeking help and treatment options. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. During my conversation today with Cindy, she recommends some amazing books that were pivotal and powerful for her along her journey. And I did look into those books and they are all available on Audible. So This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan, and the last one, Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. So I think Audible is such a wonderful way to be able to go about our life and multitask and have something in our ear that's teaching us, helping us grow, helping us to connect with other people who are like us or who are having similar experiences to us while still being able to do things like drive from one place to another or do the laundry, those mundane tasks. It definitely, having Audible in your ear makes them so much more enjoyable. So the cool thing is, is that you can go over, check it out, get signed up and go through audibletrial.com slash we podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash we podcast and you get a free 30 day trial. 
after that 30 days, it's only $14.95 a month, and there is absolutely no contract you can cancel at any time, which is totally amazing. So it's totally worth it. There's so much amazing content over there. I listen to Audible on a regular basis and love it. They have podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. Such a great and easy way to introduce growth and learning into your everyday life. All right, now let's get back to our conversation. 